Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. The scripture reading today is from the book of the Psalms, chapter 29. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, church. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors on our team, and I want to wish you a belated Happy New Year's, uh, because I couldn't do it last week. Uh, We were swallowed up in all the plane challenges and travel and spent a few extra days uh, at home with family, so that was fine. But I'll say we are glad to be home, and I'm looking forward to spending some time together over these next few minutes diving into this uh, unique psalm that, we're, that we heard here uh, from Melanie. Uh, first, you may have noticed it uh, looks a little bit different back here. We got some new curtains. We're, you know, zhuzhing up the place a little bit. But some new curtains. We got our new icon back there because we have started the church season of Epiphany. Uh, this is, today is the first Sunday after Epiphany. And Epiphany can both refer to this entire church season as well as the Feast of Epiphany. For the season, it refers to the time between the season of Christmas, yes, season that we wrapped up last Sunday, and it stretches all the way until the beginning of Lent. The word epiphany means to uh, make manifest or to make known or even to reveal. And so after we experience the 12 days of Christmas, that's when the Feast of Epiphany happens. We commemorate the Magi bringing the gifts to the newborn Messiah, then made known and revealed Jesus as the long-awaited Christ. In the Sundays after that initial feast or day of Epiphany, uh, we mark other experiences in the life of Jesus that reveal to us who he is, that demonstrate his power, that show his authority, and ultimately make known his love. Epiphany actually is more like extraordinary time because it takes these ordinary human moments, things that happen in our lives, like going to weddings or, or going to a baptism, and makes them extraordinary. In the season of Epiphany, we are hopefully able to see this extraordinary in the everyday. 
Traditionally on the first Sunday after Epiphany, again, it always falls just a few days after the Feast of Epiphany, the first of these revealing or manifesting moments is marked with the baptism of Jesus. You heard from our text a moment ago, we'll be looking at the psalm from our lectionary, which we'll be doing throughout the remainder of this season. Uh, so that is our Epiphany primer. Does that sound good? You know what we're doing? Okay, great. So here's what I want to do. I want you to travel back with me, okay? We're not going to go all the way back to the Dark Ages, but we're going to go pretty close, okay? I want you to think back in your memory to a time before caller ID, okay? <laughs> do you remember this, yeah? Okay, so there might be some students or young people in the room, but there was a time when everyone had something that was known as a house phone. I know, it sounds weird. Hopefully you're familiar with this term. It, it was a phone, and it had to be plugged into the wall into your house, and that's where it stayed. It didn't come with you. Uh, my mom had like a really long cord, so you could walk like all the way across the first floor, you know, so you could kind of move a little bit, maybe upgraded to a cordless version, but the phone lived in your house, and everyone who lives there shared that phone. And so when someone called, again, stick with me here, but you didn't know who was calling. You just had to answer the phone. That was all that you could do. There was no other option. It was ringing, and the only way to find out who it was was to pick it up. It was a little bit like playing roulette, because sure, it could have been someone calling for you, but it could have been your brother's stupid friend, or you know, your aunt that you didn't want to talk to. It could have been a telemarketer, someone that you were going to get stuck on the phone with. But I'm getting off topic. But the point is, you all remember that there was only there was this one thing. You could just answer the phone. It's all you could do. And one thing that I miss about those, you know, bygone days of yesteryear would be when you'd pick up the phone, you'd be calling someone, and you'd say, hey, it's me. And they just had to know who it was, right? The, the, the depth of your relationship was such that when you said, hey, it's me, they're like, oh, of course, it's Sean. You know, that's my best friend, or that's my husband, or whatever it is. Hey, it's me. You knew immediately who it was. You didn't need caller ID. You didn't need to ask for an explanation. You didn't have to ask who is this, right? You knew who this person was. It was your spouse, your uncle, your sister. You knew their voice so intimately, you recognized it immediately. There was no doubt about who it was. You knew this voice. Similarly, of the many joys amidst the wild experience of parenting and watching your child grow, it has been cool to see Penny recognize my voice and to recognize Julia's voice. And we spent some time in Chicago for the holidays with family, and several times Julia would be in another room having a conversation, but Penny would hear her voice. Her face would light up, and she would go running into that other room screaming, Mama! Mama! Because she knows her mom's voice. She knows her parents' voice. It's even been fun on the other end, getting to hear and understand Penny's voice as she begins to learn to communicate and express herself. Although recently she has been saying uh, a certain word a lot, so if any of you taught this to her, come see me after class. And if you need to cover your ears, I'm warning you now. But she's been saying the word no, um, which I'm not a huge fan of. So, But she recognizes her voice and we recognize hers. And today's passage is all about the voice of the Lord. I'm sure that phrase stood out to you as Melanie read the passage because it was repeated seven times in this psalm. So that's what we're going to focus on today, the voice of the Lord. And hearing all of these depictions of the voice of the Lord, it stirs up questions in me like, what does God sound like, right? 
How do you know when you hear it? How, how do we hear God's voice? How do we know when we hear God's voice versus you know, my own inner voice, my own thoughts? What do we do with the people who often claim to hear God's voice and speak on his behalf with utmost confidence and then are totally and completely wrong, right? People have claims about elections or a pandemic or it's a controlling parent, an overconfident preacher, a troubled individual. We often have interactions or hear stories of people claiming to have heard the voice of the Lord on a particular topic only to be completely and totally wrong. So we're going to try and answer some of these questions today. Again, Psalm 29, uh, it is an interesting psalm. They're all, you know, interesting. We love them equally. But this one is special uh, because scholars believe it is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, psalms in our Psalter. The origins of this psalm are actually Canaanites. So if you remember your Bible history, Canaanites were often uh, foes to the people of Israel, occupying some land that God wanted for them. And they were known for worshiping other gods besides Yahweh. Specifically, uh, scholars tend to think that uh, portions of this psalm were actually first written about Baal, one of the gods worshipped by the Canaanites. But then it was adopted by the Israelites and adapted to express worship of the one true God, Yahweh. I debated back and forth whether or not that was helpful or not to share, but to me it shows that God is reconciling and redeeming all things. Even poetry seemingly written about another God find its wholeness and completion in Yahweh. It's like pagan holidays that were adopted and repurposed as Christian ones or certain holy sites, the same thing. It shows God's complete and redemptive purposes. And so this psalm is broken into three chunks. The first two are a call to praise. The next seven describe this voice of God. And the last two verses describe what this all means for God's people. Verses one and two are often used in a call to worship, and here we receive a powerful invitation to join in the worship of the God of both water and word whose voice echoes throughout history over the face of the deep at creation from the skies at Jesus' baptism and to us today. Verse three begins this descriptive language saying that the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic. In ancient times, water was a sign of chaos. It was uncontrollable, it was the anti-creation, but what we see here is that when the voice of the Lord confronts the waters, this chaos, chaos becomes subject to creation. That is how powerful and majestic the voice of the Lord is. We hear that the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon, if I'm in Oregon. Um, He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The cedars of Lebanon, which is how I say it, but uh, are used physically and metaphorically throughout the Old Testament. Physically in the building of palaces for David and Solomon, but it was also worthy in the use for the building of the temple. Basically, these are the biggest and the strongest trees that you can imagine. If you've spent any time in the redwoods, this is, this is the picture that these cedars of Lebanon are like. The other reference uh, to Lebanon, Lebanon, here is to the mountain range to the north of Israel. Uh, and then Syrian is more often called Mount Hermon. So this is the, the largest peak in that mountain range. It's about 9,000 feet snow-capped. It would be just like Mount Bachelor. 
So the voice of the Lord can break these load-bearing behemoth trees, and he can also make the mountains jump and dance. I mean, what would you do if you saw Mount Bachelor just jump a little bit? I'd freak out. Um, but wait, there is more. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. So the voice of the Lord isn't only in thunder, it's in lightning. It can cause earthquakes in the desert, specifically here, we're talking about the Sinai, the site of God's revelation to the Israelites in the time of Moses. One word of caution here, particularly if you or anyone has experienced the harmful effects of a storm or a natural disaster, uh, it's good to pause before describing God as the cause of destruction or a violent storm, but instead that the strength of God is like the storm's bursts of thunder. It is like the flashes of fire. It is like the floodwaters. It is like the lightning. But we see here, even with the floodwaters, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Even in this ultimate chaos of a flood, again, relating back to this water imagery of chaos, God is still in control. In fact, he uses his power to offer blessing and peace to his people. The Hebrew word that we are familiar with here is shalom. That in the midst of the chaos of storms and in light of the strength and the power that is on display, all of that is channeled towards granting shalom to God's people. The psalmist believes that just as we see this unimaginable power in the thunder, in the lightning, in this tree-bending wind, we will see the same power on display towards the faithful and expressions of blessing and peace. We see that God's voice leads to shalom, that God's voice always leads to peace. And of course, this isn't the only place that we hear about God's voice in Scripture. There are kind of highlights that tend to stick out to us. Uh, God's voice showing up with Abraham and Isaac, God's uh, communication with Samuel as a child, or the way that God speaks with Saul slash Paul on the road to Damascus. These are all audible, external examples where God spoke to his people. Some of the church fathers refer to this as the vox externa, the external voice. But we are also familiar with the still small voice like the prophet Elijah in the book of Kings. Uh, I like how Eugene Peterson puts it. He, he refers to the still small voice as the gentle and quiet whisper of God. The ancients called this way of hearing God the vox interna or the internal voice. So again, to me, this begs a question and presents a paradox. There is testimony in the Bible throughout church history, throughout history, and today, Two, that testifies that God speaks. Sometimes he does it audibly, sometimes he does it in other ways, and we know this in our heads, but I wonder if you're like me, I think to myself, well, is God speaking to me? I haven't necessarily had any experiences like some of these folks in scripture, am I missing something? You know, again, we might hear people confidently say that God told them to do X or God told them to tell you Y, well then, why isn't God doing that for me? I mean, again, am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I missing? Am I looking in the wrong places? Or more aptly, am I listening in the wrong places? So yes, the question is, what does the voice of the Lord sound like? We've heard several examples in our psalm today. 
But even more than that, the question becomes, how do we hear God today? Or if you want to pose that question for yourself, is how do I hear God today? Pete Gregg, uh, we read his book on prayer last year. He's a pastor as well. Um, He says this. He says, learning to hear God's voice is the most important task of a disciple of Jesus. Again, I don't know about you. I, I don't wake up to an email from God every morning saying, you know, do this. Don't do that. You know, sell your Bitcoin before the market opens or something. I don't have Bitcoin, so I don't know if that's the right thing. But uh, I don't get a text message from heaven when I need to make an important decision. You know, I've yet to see the sky open up and hear an audible voice say, no, it was the second left, right? That has not happened to me when I'm lost on a road trip. In some Christian circles, certainly ones that I've been a part of, there seems to be this ideal form of hearing from God and, it, and how it should impact our decisions, how we live our lives. And to me, it's kind of like a, a secret service agent, or, you know, something like that. You know when you're watching a movie and you see these agents have these earpieces, and you know, they're, they're, they're in a scene, whatever, uh, and then and they stop, they put their finger to their ear and say, we need to go left, you know? Or, you know, we need to stop doing this right now, or, you know, we, need, we have to go, the, the building's about to explode, right? That they have this earpiece where they are getting instructions and information about all of the decisions that they should make. I think for some of us, this has been an image of what we think hearing from God and living our lives should look like, that our day will be filled with this, you know, touching our ear. Yes, okay, I should do that. All right, no, don't do that. Uh, You know, stick it out. Quit your job. Uh, Have that hard conversation. Don't have that hard conversation. Whether to get the fries or the side salad, right? What are you saying, Lord? (laughs) I'm hearing God say, get the fries, live little, okay? But I think this vision misunderstands what our relationship with God is and what he wants for us. And I think if I'm honest, I don't really want to live my life that way. And I don't think God wants our relationship to be that way either. This type of dictatorial relationship would not encourage but impede our natural development process where we are striving to become more mature and responsible learners and followers of Christ. The nature of our relationship with God is not mechanical or robotic. It's like a parent relates to their child. God doesn't want us to be robots, and he certainly doesn't want to be a dictator. God wants us to continue to become fully present, fully alive learners of Christ. Dallas Willard has a seminal book on this topic. You can find it in our library, uh, and it's called Hearing God. I like how he frames it. He says this. He says, it is very important to remember and to always keep before mind this fact. You are an unceasing spiritual being created for an intimate and transforming friendship with the creative community that is the Trinity. Learning to hear God is much more about becoming comfortable in a continuing conversation and learning to constantly lean on the goodness and love of God than it is about turning God into an ATM for advice or treating the Bible as a crystal ball. That is where we must begin. That must be our mindset when we are thinking about how do we hear from God? How do I hear God today? So some practical tips. First, if we have the wrong motives for seeking to hear from God, it's unlikely that we are going to get what we expect. Seeking to hear God solely as a device for advancing our own desires or seeking power or a sense of being righteous does not lend itself to actually hearing from God. 
In my experience, if this is our foundation for hearing from God, he simply will not cooperate. Second, we have to understand the nature of our relationship with God, which we spoke about just a moment ago. He is not a genie in a bottle. We saw that offer actually a few weeks ago with our pal Ahaz, but this is not how God operates. God's relationship to us is like a parent developing character in us. When we understand that dynamic and that relationship, that changes how we think that we interact with God. And third, we need to understand that God's communication to us comes in a variety of forms. So if we use those two categories we mentioned before, the vox external, the vox internal, we see that God's external voice is heard through God's word. The first place to start with that is in Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the word made flesh. The life, the teachings, and the love of Jesus is the foundation for hearing God's word. If you think you hear God tell you something that doesn't line up with the life and teachings of Jesus, it's a good sign you misheard. God's external voice also speaks through the Bible. When it comes to hearing God, the Bible is the language of God's heart. Rowan Williams is the former Archbishop of Canterbury, and he says, Christians read the Bible not as a document from history, but as a world in which they enter so that God may meet them there. If you're here today, I'm guessing I don't need to convince you of that, but we must ensure that we read Scripture with our heads and our hearts, and ultimately that we read Scripture devotionally, believing that we will meet and hear God when we read Scripture. We've talked about the practice of Lexio Divina before, but this is a fantastic way to hear how God might be speaking to you by praying through Scripture. It's a way of sacred listening to how God has spoken through scripture that involves reading and meditation and praying and contemplating. There are tons of resources on this, one of those being the Lexio 365 app, which many of us use, we've talked about before. So these are a couple great ways to hear God, which ways in which we can rely on, ways in which I hope that you will continue to pursue. These are the loud and clear tried and true methods. But to me, the real questions come with the vox interna, that internal voice of God, that gentle whisper, that still small voice of God. How do we know it when we hear it? Because when God speaks this way, it can be easy to overlook. We can doubt that it's even there, that it exists at all. But the issue of this is not one of existence, but one of awareness. It's training our hearts to hear that gentle, quiet whisper, or in this case, of training our hearts of how to listen for that still, small voice. It's a paradigm shift of how we experience the world and those around us. Do we have any birders in the room? I see, I see the freezes, yeah, we got some birders, Gerhardt's back, yes, okay. So we got like six, all right? For the rest of us who are not birders, have you ever gone on a walk with a birder? <laughs> you ever had this experience? You spent any, maybe any meaningful time outside with a birder? It is totally wild, right? It is a totally different way of seeing and experiencing this facet of God's creation, right? They see birds that I didn't even know were there, right? You never would have noticed them. They identify colors. They identify markings. They point out wingspans and beaks and tails and use all this jargon that nobody has any idea what they're talking about. But that's because they see things differently. 
They are astutely aware of all of this activity going around them that is so blatantly obvious to a birder that you and I have no clue about. I think that is the same way with how God is speaking to us that we tend to miss and overlook that he is so alive and present and active and so many things are going on and we're like, I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. I didn't see that bird. I didn't hear God's voice in that moment. And so what are some of these less obvious ways that God speaks to us? I'm gonna do an old pastor trick and give you four C's, okay? The first is through our community. It's the people around us, the people that love us, our family, our friends, our church family. My hunch is that most of us have received good advice from someone close to us recently. It might have been about something at work. It might have been about a relationship or a tough decision. And someone in your life told you the thing that you needed to hear. It may have not been what you wanted to hear, but someone in your life told you what you needed to hear. That was God's voice speaking through your community. I'm sure many of you over lunch will say, wow, that sermon was exactly what I needed to hear today. God was speaking through our community right here, <laughs> through me. So community is one. God also speaks through the rest of creation. We heard a bunch of examples of this in our psalm today, but we live in a great place, right? Where just about every time you go outside to hike or snowshoe or ski for me, or if I'm out on the river or whatever it is, I feel like I can hear God's voice loud and clear. God's voice is crying out in and through the rest of creation to us. I've told the, the longer version of this story before, but when Julia and I first came through Bend, we didn't know where we were going or where we were gonna end up. It was a hike along the Deschutes River in the National Forest that we felt God nudging us to move here. It was exper we experienced God's voice through his creation because God communicates to us through the rest of his creation. We also see that God speaks to us through culture. Things like novels, films, songs, poetry, you name it. You ever listened to a song and felt like it was speaking to your soul? That was God's voice. You ever read a novel that was such a compelling story that it felt like it taught you a ton about faith, maybe more than a, you know, quote, Christian book? That was God using culture to speak to you. Is there a movie that sticks out to you as articulating something about God that you couldn't quite put into words? As Christians, we don't need to run from culture. Instead, we need to listen for how God is speaking through culture. Even the Apostle Paul quoted Greek poetry in the book of Acts because it testified and revealed a deeper truth about God. Then finally, God speaks to us through our conscience. It's that still small voice in our own head, something calling us to something more, challenging us to move towards the way of love, convicting us to move towards compassion. Rather than using another medium, God uses our own thought processes, our own brains, our own minds to communicate with us. Even last week, we heard God speaking through dreams to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. And this one, I think, can be tough. Again, I asked the question before, but how do I know if it's my voice or God's voice? 
Uh, Kyle Lake was a pastor of the church we were part of in Waco. Unfortunately, he suffered a very tragic death, but he has a few fantastic books that carry on his legacy of love, and one of them is about prayer. And he offers some helpful tips about this very question. How do I figure out if it's God's voice or my voice? And he says the first thing you do is to check the voice that you're hearing with Scripture. God won't communicate to you something today that goes against God's word in Scripture. Now, the challenge here is to do this without proof texting, right? To understand the difference between incidentals and principles in Scripture. Incidentals being things like covering your head or not wearing gold jewelry uh, versus principles being things like loving your neighbor, right? And what you should hear should be in line with the principles of God's Scripture. Second is to check it with the life of Jesus and, and the disciples. Is what you are hearing in line with that? Third, if the voice of God tends to always agree with the voice of Sean, that's probably a bad sign, okay? If, if, if we're in complete alignment all the time, I think I'm just listening to myself, right? You have, you have to see where those differences come in. Ultimately, Kyle says this, and it's a little bit of a longer quote, but it was too good not to share. He says, I am not preoccupied every second of every day trying to decipher which is the voice of God and which is the voice of Kyle. I am preoccupied with what it means to become a more faithful follower of Christ in every spectrum of life. I move confidently throughout the day, striving to approach people and events in ways I think Jesus would, while maintaining an attentive awareness to the thoughts and feelings going on within me. The voice of God then becomes more familiar only as a byproduct of my pursuits, not as the end goal. I am not pursuing a voice, I am pursuing Christ. We see that the primary goal is not just to hear the voice of God, but to be a mature and loving person in a loving relationship with God. And so when it comes to how we hear God today, we have to invert our perspective a bit. We tend to think, oh, if God would just speak, or if I could just hear, or if he'd just show up in this way, then our relationship would be deeper. This relationship would be more intimate. But instead, as our relationship with God deepens, as we become more mature followers of Christ, we tune our hearts to hear God more. We become like the birders in our midst, whose ears have opened to the plethora of ways in which God is speaking to us every day. Yes, we spend time praying to God, absolutely, but more than that, our lives become prayers. We don't have to understand prayer as some choice between spending time with God or living out the rest of my life, that a life of prayer is how we think and live in the presence of God and constantly and consistently hear God's voice that we trust that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and present to us in each and every moment, helping us to hear the voice of God. Then instead of thinking about how we aren't hearing God in the ways that we expected or hoped for, we begin to enter life asking, how will I hear from God in an unexpected way today with the aid of the Holy Spirit? Ultimately, on this day where we mark the baptism of Jesus as the inauguration of the manifestation of his power, we are reminded of God's voice. It's the voice that opened up the heavens as Jesus came out of the water and called him the beloved. It's the God of heaven and earth, the one whose voice spoke everything into being. It's the same voice that can break the cedars of Lebanon and rift the skies open. 
the same voice that can shake the wilderness and cause the mountains to dance. The voice that does all of those things also speaks to you and to me today. It's the voice that comforts us in the midst of our distress, that calls us home in our wandering and guides us on our journey. The voice that we recognize as the voice of our loving parent in the next room. It's the voice that causes us to come running. It's the voice that greets us with open arms. It's the voice that we hear when a friend offers us sage counsel and we recognize it as if God is picking up the phone and saying, it's me. It's the voice that we hear skiing through the trees and we know that it's God saying, it's me. It's the voice we heard when we watched that powerful movie that we understood something about God that we didn't know before and we know it's God saying it's me. It's the gentle, quiet whisper in our dreams and in our heads that we come to know as God saying, it's me. So, Antioch family, may we be a people who are aware of all of the ways that God is speaking to us today. May we learn to recognize his voice of love and may we live differently because of it. Amen.